sometimes if you're looking out the car uh, out of the window and you're you're watching people and you wonder like what's going on in your life you know and i just feel like putting human behavior and things that because it happens in real life it's 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 an applied form of uh science when we learn it and then we make it into theories and so i think that studying human behavior and uh studying the way that the brain works first of all that applies to everyone it doesn't matter you know who you are but that research is really valuable to everyone um and yeah i'm interested in it because i know that there's a definitive answer i know that that it it will work it's a, it's a theory it's not a law but it will still work 99% of the time and i like the fact i i think it's very satisfactory when you deal with something hands on and it works This podcast shows that Ukraine is not what foreigners see on television. In reality, Ukrainian people are much better, much more interesting and friendly than other people expect. This podcast is about the real life, experiences, work, and personalities of Ukrainian people with a focus on the capital, Kyiv, so that foreigners discover the positive truths about Ukraine hear the voices of Ukrainians, visit the country, invest in the economy, creating more opportunities for the younger Ukrainian generations to stay and build their country. Hello, my name is Aziz and I have a deep connection with Ukraine. My grandfather volunteered in 1987 to help clean the Chernobyl chemical radiation because he believed in humanity. He was a real hero for me and even though he struggled with cancer after that for the rest of his life. He always told me so many great things about Ukraine and its people. Then from 2018 to 2019, for two years, I began working with UNICEF in Ukraine to build orphanages for the children who lost their families in the war. I could not return to Ukraine in 2020 because of COVID-19. So this project is my volunteer work to help Ukraine and thank you all so much for the support i am grateful this podcast now is ranking number one on apple podcasts about ukraine top 100 travel podcasts in switzerland top 60 travel podcasts in the uk top 30 in the netherlands top 25 on apple russia and top 20 on apple poland my guest today is yvdakia kroimans from the Anglo-American School of Moscow to the Kiev International School to the American School of Den Haag, The Hague, from drama and theater to speaking English, Dutch, French, Ukrainian, and Russian, to being a student teacher assistant for English as a second language at the American School of The Hague, to being a volunteer meal server at a homeless kitchen in a church, where each time she served over 300 people and cleaned after them. Eve is the founder and president of the STEM Society at her school, the leader of Médecins Sans Frontières Club, leader of the TEDx Club, a Model United Nations member, a member of the Speech and Debate Club, a member of the National Honor Society, a winner of the Science Fair Award at the Jean Piaget's Conservation Task in 2019. She is an accomplished athlete being part of the varsity tennis, basketball, and volleyball, as well as an intern at the 
invest in education, young doctors program and young investment bankers program led by academic scholars, investment bankers and practitioners. Eve has also visited over 35 countries, has an ELO chess rating of 1,700, which is impressive. She's an amazing, amazing person. She is expected to earn 41 points in her international baccalaureate, which is amazing. She will pursue a biomedical bachelor's degree in the US or the UK when she graduates high school in 2021, then a master's in biomedical engineering, and she aspires to become a future neurosurgeon. And she has a great-grandfather who is still alive, living in Kiev, who served as a lieutenant general in the storm of Berlin. Eve, how are you today? I'm amazing. How are you? I am happy, excited, supportive. So this is going to be really nice and friendly and good. And I want you to begin with just a small, small thing. I don't ask usually this question, but I'm really curious about it. Why neurosurgery? So I initially really became interested in neuroscience because uh, Alzheimer's runs in my family. And I actually started to take a psychology class in ninth grade. And once I had this introduction to psychology class, I realized, wow, this is kind of fun. And then in 10th grade, I took AP psychology and somehow I did well in it. And then I continued on. So I took it as um, an, a, a standard level subject for IB. And I really enjoy psychology, but I also really enjoy chemistry and biology because I'm taking those subjects at HL. And I think that the brain is just such a mysterious organ. It's like the one organ that we don't really know that much about and it's so difficult to conduct research on it and it's a lot of it is so theoretical and i just think that there's such a such a big future for neuroscience that i really want to be a part of that future and i think that neurosurgery is just kind of my path to be with people and help them but also pursue this interest that i have in neuroscience okay great and now i'm hearing three things so please Tell me which one is more meaningful to you. Is it that you wish to learn about the brain because in somehow, some way, you could either be part of finding a solution for Alzheimer for yourself or to your parents or people you care about, or you said that the brain is such a mysterious, mysterious thing that we don't know much about. So are you a very curious person who enjoys to go into the unknown and uncover the mysteries? Or you spoke about being part of the future um, field, which is understanding the brain. So is it more about that you want to be someone excellent, maybe win a Nobel Prize and have a lot of ambition that are more about that recognition for your talents and for your contribution? I must say, I think it's all three because I think there is just... I know, I knew when I was like, since I was young, I always knew that whatever I'd be doing in the future, I'd always want to help people. And I am naturally very curious about things. I think uh, that's why I'm so into biology and chemistry, because it explains things that I see. And I want to know those explanations. I want to know like why the world is the way that we see it. And like, I never really understood what differentiated us from animals or us from, well, we are animals. That's, that's the whole point. And I didn't really realize it. And I think that there was just this path of like, 
you know, when, once you learn something, you, you just keep wanting to learn more. And I think that's kind of with the brain. It's that it's when I discovered that the brain was so mysterious because I was taking this uh, medical neuroscience course offered by uh, Duke University on Coursera. And it, the first kind of lesson was that the brain is this mysterious organ. And immediately I was just hooked and yeah, I think it's just all three. I also, I hope, honestly, to find a cure for Alzheimer's. That's, I think it's a very devastating disease. Um, and I do think that there are very promising remedies. I think that at this point in time, there's so much potential for so many different therapies that I, I want to be a part of it as well. And uh, when you mentioned like the Nobel Prize, I mean, yeah, I, I do see myself going down that path realistically in the future just because of how ambitious I want to be and the impact that I want to make on the world. I love that. I hear many things, but I want to zoom in on one thing, intrinsic motivation versus extrinsic motivation, mm -hmm. where with intrinsic motivation, when you your curiosity, like you said, it shows you a path that you want to learn more. And that is not always possible when you are in a structured system such as a high school or an educational system where you cannot choose exactly the path to follow when studying. How do you deal with this? And did you notice, which was also my, which was my experience, but I don't know, maybe yours is different, that many students, the problem is that they're expected to have extrinsic motivation, whether the parents or the teachers or the system expecting them to be motivated through um, punishments and rewards. But in reality, if they found their intrinsic motivation, what this, their purpose and passion in life, they will be like a true, true genius at it. And they will perform and be super productive because to me, Someone asked me, what is your secret of productivity? I said, intrinsic motivation. They said, wow, those two words are so powerful. But I know everyone has that capacity. It's just that for a long time, they don't even know what is their passion. And therefore, they follow someone else's road. I know there was a, that was a lot. But to ask you, how do you deal or follow your intrinsic motivations in a system that sometimes might give you a pass that you don't have passion for? Is it through forcing yourself, etc.? And commenting on usual students in the educational system and the way that they are when it comes to this level of motivation. Absolutely. So I completely agree with you. I think that the current way that the education system is set is very much... Um, it's very forceful. It, it doesn't allow students themselves to explore what they enjoy and thus establish intrinsic motivation. Instead, immediately it's forced upon them. And as you said, they're just expected um, to be extrinsically motivated. And I think that this um, really ends up killing not only creativity, but also drive, motivation and passion because um, you know, they, they set the system to be, oh, if you have an A, you know, you should get A's in this class, you should get A's in this class. And, and that's kind of the reward of, you know, working hard. But why isn't the reward, you know, um, pursuing a personal project or, you know, um, seeing something that you've been building for a couple of months, like launch, you know, I think that those types of experiences are much more touching and much more human. And I think that if, if the education system would be more focused around that, then I, I think a lot of people would reach, you know, higher potentials. And I think that um, for myself, 
Uh, I'm actually quite lucky because I like all of my classes, even though like in the IB, we, we have to take classes in all disciplines. But yeah, I mean, for me, it's just I've always been kind of interested in everything. And uh, I've only I only began uh, pursuing my passion in the sciences when I was in high school, because before that, I always told myself, I was like, you're never going to be a programmer, you're never going to be a doctor, and you're never going to be a scientist. Because I didn't have a good background in science. And all we had was this one science class. And I didn't really feel like it, it was a very like practical, it was very theoretical, but it wasn't you couldn't apply it to real life. So it was very difficult for me to like draw the association between real life and science. But yeah, once that bridge was kind of built, um, I started loving all of my subjects. And I would say I love most of them equally, to be honest. It all depends on the teacher and the kids in the class. But apart from that, I mean, I'm interested in, you know, English literature as much as I'm interested in mathematics, even though... Um, I, I really love mathematics and I really love English literature. So for me, it's quite well-rounded. And I think that although, yes, I feel like all of those assignments from school, um, all of that time that I waste on studying, because I mean, waste, it's just when I'm doing online school, I prefer it so much more because it's um, it's independent learning. It's self-driven and uh, you don't really have to keep up with the assignments. You can just open a book and read it at your own, like, what's the word? Pace, like, or are you speaking about the circadian rhythm of like there are some times yeah. in, the, in the day, which I agree with too, where you're more open and likely to be reading a book and other times where something else might be the best and most productive use of your time rather than having someone else force that structure on you. And now I have a really, really good question, which is, look, I notice you use things like saying um, a human or humane you used another thing that the brain the human brain is fascinating that you always wanted to help people that you found um, psychology to be fascinating and another thing is that you said also you didn't even have interest in science until you found the practical or pragmatic you use those words so i'm asking you really you spoke about the way that you needed answers for things you observe in the world. So is for you the interest in psychology and everything you do is not just understanding how the world works, but like you said about humans, what differentiates us or not from other animals and to understand other people, understand how the human world works, not just like in architecture or uh, making rockets or programming like you mentioned, Anyway, this is like a huge thing just to say a simple thing. What is this true that it seems to me what motivates your learning is the pragmatic understanding of how human beings work? And if yes, why? Yeah, I, I would agree with you. I do. I, I really care a lot about why we are the way that we are. And uh, I'm interested in, you know, how did we become this way? where are we going to go as a, you know, as, as the human race, like, you know, what's, what's, what are the next steps? I mean, um, and I contemplate this almost on a daily basis because I'm really interested in technology as well. And I, I just think that there there's, uh, we're surrounded by people. We're surrounded by personalities. We're surrounded by 
um, you know, you look to the media and you see people, you see, you know, uh, stars, celebrities, and then, you know, you also look outside and, you know, people <laughs> sometimes if you're looking out the car uh, out of the window and you're, you're watching people and you wonder like what's going on in your life, you know, and I just feel like putting human behavior and um, things that, because it happens in real life, it's, it's, it's an applied form of uh, science when we learn it and then we make it into theories. And so I think that studying human behavior and uh, studying the way that the brain works, first of all, that applies to everyone. It doesn't matter, you know, who you are, but that research is really valuable to everyone. Um, and yeah, I'm interested in it because I know that there's a definitive answer. I know that, you know, if that it, it will work. It's a, it's a theory. It's not a law, but it will still work 99% of the time. And I like the fact, I, I think it's very satisfactory when you deal with something hands-on and it works. So I'm, yeah, I'm very curious. Now tell me, wait, this is very good. This is very good. Two things. One, you said that it's a principle, uh, maybe not a law, but it will work 99% of the time, etc. Did you have periods in your life where you felt a bit out of control or vulnerable in the way that what you did didn't seem to work as intended and therefore that created in your brain the neural pathways to give you dopamine whenever you learn about practical things that you expect and know will work, which gives a sense of safety, security, and the understanding and reducing the apparent chaos of reality and the world that especially with people it seems to be like maybe and this is totally an assumption but please correct me that maybe when you were little or uh, small you did things for example for people to like you or to make them feel happy but they didn't react in the way that was expected and that vexed you and disappointed you in a way that you thought i have to figure this out i have to know how people work I have to understand and that drove your curiosity so that you know how what to do in order to get the happiness or the help or the positive emotions into people which didn't work before please correct me and tell me if there is any story and everything uh, are you dr freud <laughs> because it's, it's strangely accurate um i think I, I definitely feel secure in numbers. I'm, I'm going to be honest. I definitely think that that's why I'm very drawn to um, more kind of uh, logic-based uh, subjects. But um, when I was younger, I never really understood. I, I thought I knew people very well and I could kind of, I, I have a lot of empathy uh, where I'm, I'm very sensitive. So if I see someone cry, like I immediately start to cry. Or if I see someone smile, I smile. And um when I was younger, uh, I was bullied a lot and I couldn't understand why people were bullying me. And obviously, I know now it was because I was I, I kind of grew up uh, at a younger age. So I began to mature physically uh, when I was a lot. Well, when I was quite young and I, I matured a lot faster than everyone else. And so I was being bullied for it. And I also had braces and glasses. And um, and these people were all my friends, or at least I thought so. So I, I couldn't really understand why they behaved that way. Um, and I still remained 
like very friendly with them and I was still very nice to them. And some of my bullies I'm still friends with to this day because you can't hold people accountable for things that they did when they were, you know, seven or eight years old. It's not a big deal. But um, I, I think that that experience definitely and, and the bullying went on for a very long time. It also happened because of my name, because I actually had my name legally changed because before um the the nickname for Yevdakia is actually Dusia. And my parents wrote on my passport Dusia Yevdakia or on my birth certificate birth certificate. And that's like saying Nastya Anastasia, you know, it's it's like a re- redundancy. And so people used to call me Dawesja because that's how it was spelled. And it hurt me a lot as well. And that was I think another thing that I couldn't quite grasp about my friends. And I think that having answers, I definitely wanted answers. I know for sure, because I always wondered why people acted certain ways and why people were so quick to hurt others. And yeah, I think that's kind of also an answer that I'm searching for as well. Let's go deeper without going too deep or whatever. Okay. But because that's a really touching topic and I feel for you. And it actually, especially when you're sensitive, I imagine that you have that kind of thing when growing up that you looked around and you kept feeling people's emotions all around you and it touched you on a deep level when you saw someone angry or depressed like you mentioned outside the car and then it it touched always a chord and a sensitive part of you that you always wondered why why is this happening and why are those people feeling bad I should change it make more happiness so that I also feel happier but the bullying maybe and please correct me about this it in a way you're so sensitive that you need to protect yourself so i imagine two things one you don't show a lot of emotions to many people because in a way it feels as if you're opening up that vulnerable part that was hurt so much so people think maybe that you are not so emotional but you are so emotional that you escape into the logic and the numbers in order to protect that that part which is super sensitive because any for multiple times before you opened and in the end it was a negative consequence and not just normal pain but because you're so sensitive it cut much much deeper than to other people please correct me whether this is wrong or not and comment yeah, I mean, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. And in fact, I'm I'm shocked by how accurate it is, everything that you're psychoanalyzing about me. Because, uh, yeah, the truth is, usually when I... I've moved schools three times, right? And so this last time, especially, when I came into the school, um, I was told by a lot of people that I intimidated them a lot. And uh, the point is... I I do believe I kind of uh, project this very strong front. And I think I also get it from my mom because my mom is a very strong woman. So I also try my, my aspiration is to be a very strong woman and to be like very independent and not to be uh, kind of subject to the stereotype that all women are emotional and all of this. So yeah, I think most of my friends don't particularly know that I'm very emotional uh, unless it's unless something happens and then I just somehow break. But usually I project a very strong front. And I think that sometimes it's quite bad because sometimes it bottles up and then 
yeah, and then I just kind of explode in tears or whatever. Um, but sometimes I think it's quite good because I feel with, with age, I'm getting stronger. Um, and I am still quite sensitive. What does that mean? Well, I mean, I understand what you're saying, but the word stronger to you, what is it exactly? Is it someone who feels emotions less intensely? Is it someone who can cut off emotions? Is it someone with an armor? Is it someone who can feel the emotions fully, but not feel them as pain or what is strong as well as i'm asking you another thing which is what is the thing that you're most curious about right now what is most fascinating something specific that you feel almost hungry for more knowledge about and that is a double question but it's fun i think strong is a very difficult word to define i think it's quite objective i think that if you ask uh different people they will have different answers Uh, But to me, I think being strong is actually based on how much experience you've had and maybe how many um, how many downfalls you've had and how many times you've stood up. I think to me, that's uh, a huge uh, kind of indication of how strong was how strong someone is. And I think that a lot of the experience that I've gone through, um, I I went through a lot of uh, experiences when I was younger uh that i will say haven't left me unfortunately and i still have to kind of carry the burden of having those experiences but i think that with time not only do those scars heal but also uh you just kind of accept those and it's not that you don't feel the emotions it's that you don't let them completely control you and completely um, absorb your entire life. I think that's the biggest distinction uh, to me between what's strong and what's, you know, um, not, well, not weak, but like more perhaps not as strong. And that's what I think um, defines strong for me. And then um, I think... No, one second. This is beautiful because you're using a metaphor for body when you're speaking about emotions it's like emotions are a parasite or one of those alien host things that take over a body and control it which i'm not gonna go there i'm going to another direction do you feel rejuvenated and recharged and alive when you do some athletic activities and movement and things like that because what i'm hearing actually is not what most scientists are Most scientists are visual. There are people who are auditory and those often are musicians. And then there are the people who are really strong in kinesthetic ability and they become athletes and those feel sensations and emotions at a much, much stronger level because they have such connection and mastery of their body since birth and they develop it, that talent into strength, of course. So I am sensing You are one of those people, and therefore, to recharge yourself, to feel balanced, physical movement, maybe every day now you do something like yoga or running, or I don't know what you do, but can you speak about that? Yeah, for sure. So I I would definitely say that um, working out, I I particularly like working out uh, in a fitness gym. I think fitness is what I'm most into right now, obviously. Uh, due to the fact that uh, all tennis courts are closed and you can't play basketball anywhere. But um, 
yeah, after I have a really good workout, not only I feel stronger, like I feel rejuvenated, but I also just feel at peace. It's like all of the pieces of the puzzles, all of, all of the pe- pieces of the puzzle that are in my mind that are all scrambled after a really tough day kind of fall into place um, after a workout. And especially after I'm either on the walk home, on the bike ride home, um, I just start to feel a lot more at peace. But I must say, I didn't tell you, but I actually play three instruments. I'm like a very musical person as well. And I have perfect pitch. Um, so it's not entirely true <laughs> that I am only like a kinesthetic person. I, I honestly wouldn't say I'm that kinesthetic. I love working out, but I don't think I like learn by touching things uh, necessarily. Okay, then let's speak about chess. I'm not to understand this more because I still have a hypothesis about you and it's fascinating. You are absolutely so adorably interesting to ask about chess. Do you visualize like all the patterns or do you have an emotion that guides you to the correct strategy and next move? Or is it some kind of auditory since you said you have perfect pitch? It's like hearing a voice that is guiding you like a Yoda character of chess that gives you insights into what to do. So the funny thing with chess and this is actually with every game it's that if i play a game during the day before i fall asleep i can't get it out of my head so i'm laying in bed and i can only visualize the game and this is no matter what it is if it's a uh, computer video game or if it's chess it, it just gets stuck in my head and when I'm laying in bed and I'm thinking about the game, I kind of play through different moves and I kind of uh, think of places where I got stuck in my last game, for example. And, and um, when I'm actually playing a game, a lot of it is instincts, but the problem is that I do occasionally make mistakes because sometimes I think that I'm going on the right path and I have this plan and then I miss something out. And that's kind of... I, I would say I play a lot on instincts. For me, I I do um, play through the moves in my head logically, but a lot of the time, um, I do if I if I don't exactly know what to do, I just go with my gut. That's wonderful because whether Kobe Bryant, R.I.P., or any of the greats, what they get to is, or even Bruce Lee, when you get to a certain level of high skill your best thing to do is to shut off your mind and let all your training and instinct play for you. And then I have to ask you two things. One, are you somewhat of a compulsive thinker in general and you ruminate a lot about things that happen and maybe the bullying before and I don't want to reopen that wound, but it's just curiosity about it and you keep on replaying, replaying negative things, hoping that maybe you'll learn something to avoid it next time, which is maybe, you know, something uh, like that, as well as do you sometimes feel like there is a conflict between your instincts and your brain in a way where, of course, your instincts are good and you follow them, but you don't trust them fully because you worry you'll make a mistake and therefore you sometimes try to control your instincts with your brain which also shows in you trying to control your emotions and not letting them 
take over because that's a metaphor for letting you yourself run on instinct 100%, which seems to be uh, blueprinted as something negative that leads to mistakes and pain and problems rather than something powerful that lets you let a power run through you that is stronger than who you are and that is a huge thing whatever touched your heart and you wish to speak about from all i said just speak about that i definitely am the type of person who is constantly thinking about things that are in the past and yeah i well now that you mentioned it i do think that it's likely due to the fact that I'm searching for a mistake or I'm searching for um, an, an answer to something or um, I'm, I just don't want to repeat the same mistake again. And so I, I definitely think through situations from the past a lot, um, no matter what type of situation it is, whether it's a happy one, a sad one. Um, and sometimes I am resentful of that part of me because sometimes I feel like I can't move on because I'm always in the past, but then I'm also always in the future. I think I'm I'm not the type of person who lives in the present. Um, although I, I think I used to be when I was younger, but now I'm always looking either <laughs> to the front and the far front, like I, I'm talking, you know, five, 10 years or the far back. So I think that that's one thing uh, that I would certainly try to improve about myself to really live in the moment. Um, one second, one second. I have to ask two things. One, are you a perfectionist? And two, did you have some traumatic experiences where you were uh, like you felt, I'm not saying you were punished like in that way, but you felt punished for making mistakes when you were smaller or younger in any way. And that made you have some kind of trauma from making mistakes. And in a way, it becomes a strategy of running away from mistakes rather than taken the risk to pursue whatever you want. And I imagine, and please correct me if I'm wrong, that you don't like taking risks. You're more of someone who your instincts and you were born to take risks, but you try to bottle that up and control it because if you do what can go bad, there is a possibility of mistakes. And this relates exactly to what you spoke about neuroscience and understanding the brain and principles that you want something that works 99.999%. So you don't, you're sure you don't make mistakes. And if it could even be said that your desire and drive for science and for the brain surgery and for understanding is about knowing what to do so you don't make mistakes and therefore it's a life of avoiding mistakes. And I, that sounds pejorative, but it's not. It's just trying to understand who you are. So can you comment on whatever was relevant? I, I would definitely say I'm a perfectionist. And I think uh, I always want things to be done right. And as a leader, this is very tough because I have to really balance how much I listen to other people and how much I take in all of their advices and all of their wants and needs. But then I have this conflict because it's like I, I sometimes I feel like my way is the right way. And this is something that I'm always working on because I know that sometimes I only trust my plan because I want to play it safe. And I want it to be 100% kind of uh, reliable. I don't want there to be any uncertainty. Or as you said, I don't like to take risks when it comes to things that are high stakes, uh, such as projects or initiatives because 
I like to plan things out. I like it when things go a certain way so that we don't have to deal with things that we are unfamiliar with or I, yeah, I'm, I think I'm, I'm definitely the sort of person who's scared of making mistakes. Um, and yeah. Okay. I'm, one second. Who, who in your family likes things to go a certain way? And if not, they're not happy. You don't have to say specifically, but like, is there such a person? Actually, I grew up in a family that is very unstructured. So we, we don't we don't celebrate any anything so we don't have any celebrations we don't celebrate christmas we don't celebrate birthdays even really you just say happy birthday and that's it so for me it's like i we we lived in a very unstructured environment i would come home we didn't have a set dinner time we never had dinner at the table um so i think the fact that i had such an unstructured childhood and even now you know uh i have so much freedom and I think that's what really made me want to structure it. And also the voice inside me that's telling me don't make mistakes because whenever I make a mistake, it's like a personal fail failure. I'm really hard on myself. I'm harder on myself than my parents uh, are. And uh, I think, yeah, I think that's what it is, to be honest. Okay, let's explore. And this is so fun. It's almost like a psychoanalysis. It's not usual, but yeah. you're so fascinating. And I have to ask even deeper. You said mistakes equal failure, which is called in some kind of uh, psychological fields, a uh, complex equivalent. Then let's go all the way. And I hope this won't be something you'll remember when you're sleeping, almost sleeping and getting to bed. But let's say you are in that failure state. What's the worst that can happen? Because what I'm, I'm explaining why, because humans feel that that failure situation is often worse than if they went into detail. And I believe a lot in what was in Fight Club, whether the book, which is excellent, or the movie, it's only when you fail or lose everything that you are free to, have, to be whoever you wish to be. And you spoke even about that before, which now I'm seeing as a contradiction. You said it's when you fall down and stand back up that you build character. And now you said you try to avoid failure, which means you try to avoid falling down, which means in some ways it's like, oh, yes, failure is built character. It's beautiful. But, oh, failure is pain. It's the worst. No, I should do everything to avoid it. So please, can you comment on this apparent paradox? I think I, I don't think it's a paradox simply because I don't really in particular consider myself to be on the outside. I'm strong, but I don't think on the inside I'm the strongest person. And um, I don't know. It's just it's very tough because it's like I've been put in a lot of situations that were bad involuntarily. So it wasn't really my choice. And so I think. That's why I choose. I try to, when it's in my control, I don't want to be in those situations. So I think it's mainly that, to be honest. And yeah, I guess it is a pair. So when you have structure, when you have structure in some ways, you control the situations you go into and you control your emotions so they don't take over. And therefore, you don't take the risk of being in a situation, one of those you didn't choose previously to be in because you choose every single situation and therefore you will choose it to be on your terms in the way that you wish. Did I understand correctly? Yeah, exactly. 
And since you are someone very futuristic looking and forward thinking, is this a way that you want to live your life forever? Not at all. I really, I really hope to be uh, a risk taker when I'm older, but obviously not an uncalculated risk, um, but a more calculated risk taker. Um, and yeah, I do want to kind of push myself to try things that maybe I haven't tried before, or maybe, you know, go into situations that make me slightly uncomfortable. I think that that's how people grow as well. And I think that through that, I can really become a more versatile person, but also just grow like my character, I think needs to needs to grow more. So I think that would definitely help a lot. And then to ask you, if you were to choose any kinds of friends, do you prefer people who are younger than you? So you teach them about whatever you're learning, people your age, so you're equal level or you feel that maybe you're psychologically a lot more mature than your age which is i'm noticing so you get along more with older kind of more experienced friends so when i was younger i always wanted to age quicker i always wanted to i even i read a poem that i wrote when i was 10 and it says i want to be uh, in a cocoon for my entire childhood and then turn into a butterfly so the point is i just want to miss my entire childhood because i already want to become an adult and now that i'm here I wish I could go back, honestly. And um, I think that when I was younger, I always wanted to be with people who were older because I thought, yes, the more mature people are, I, I just resonated with them more. I didn't really relate to people who were my age. But obviously, as you become older, I think that the differences between, you know, 14 and 15 is maybe a bigger difference than 18, 19. So now, honestly, I have friends of all ages, <laughs> even as young as, you know, six years old at my school, you know. So for, for me, age really doesn't matter that much. I, I have friends of all ages. I think that friendships should never have an age restriction or, you know, there, there shouldn't be any weirdness around just being friends. So, yeah, that's, that's my opinion. I love that. Uh, we don't even have time. I want to ask you whether you really, really feel, okay, I will ask, but please answer quickly two things. One, do you open yourself up enough to feel that those friends, they're your friends, of course, but do you feel they get you on that deep understanding level? Or in some ways, you feel there is a part of you that nobody really gets to know? That's one question. And second, do you have any words about Ukraine and Kiev and your life there that you wish to share? If you were to describe the personalities, attitudes, and people there to foreigners or your favorite thing about Ukraine, what would you say? Yeah, it's about whether you truly open yourself up fully to people that become your, your friends or there is a part yeah. of you that people don't know and therefore you feel somewhat that you're not 100% understood by many people or any person in this world? I think I don't even truly understand myself sometimes. So I think I'm, I'm, an, I'm always an open book. And I think this is what surprises a lot of people when they first meet me and when, when I start to build friendships is that I'm so open and honest. And I, I actually 
uh, I'm really proud of my honesty. That, that That's something that I really um, hold true to myself because I think honesty is incredibly important. And so I tell people uh, everything that I feel like I need to tell if they need help, if, you know, they're asking me for advice. And yeah, I think that the way that I don't think anybody can be their tr- them true their true self around other people. I think that um, no matter who you're around, you're never going to be 100% who you are when you're alone, for example. But I don't think when you're alone, you are in fact your true self either. So I think no, nobody knows me fully. I don't know myself fully. So I'm, I'm not exactly sure how that would even be possible. Um, and then in terms of Kiev, I, I I really think uh, that Kiev is so underrated as a city. I also think uh, to aid your cause, I think Kiev is such um, such a great place to invest money in, just in general, especially Eastern Europe as well. If I had the money, I'd be investing in Kiev because it's an emerging market in the IT like industry. Um, apparently, uh, the Financial Times even named Kiev as uh, possibly like one of the uh, tech, what was it, like the, the new Silicon Valley of Slavs. So I, I think that there is so much potential in Ukraine. People are incredibly, um, incredibly ambitious, uh, very smart. Uh, my mom herself, she she graduated from uh, Tarasa Shevchenko Universitet uh, in Kiev. So so it's very you know it's it's a very good place. I think um, I I really loved living in Kiev to be honest, and I I loved the people there as well. Um, and I returned there to quarantine, and it was very nostalgic for me. I think that Ukraine is just a su- such a wonderful country, but it's been very unlucky in history, unfortunately. But I, I, I really think uh, for for Ukraine, the sky's the limit at this point, and I think that they're gonna boom in the coming years. Thank you. It was a pleasure, a magnificent time, and. Which links, if people want to connect with you or learn more, do you wish for me to share in the description as well as, you know, wishing everyone a great day? Uh, I guess just my LinkedIn. I think that's it, to be honest. Thank you. It was amazing. I wish you good luck in the exams and a great day. Thank you so much. You too.